Will you join me in prayer? God, we pray that you might silence in us all voices but your own, that we might hear you strong and clear. For God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Let us listen together for God's word to us this day. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Our second reading this morning will be read by the Reverend Greg Carlson from a group called Convergence, which you'll hear about later in the service. Good morning. From John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket. I'm sorry. Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift and who is saying it to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where you would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave, us, he gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, and as did his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life.
On a hot August day in 2003, a series of faults caused by tree branches touching power lines in Ohio led to the most widespread blackout in North American history. Maybe some of you remember that. More than 50 million people across eight northeastern U.S. states and parts of Canada were left without power for at least 24 hours, and many of them were in the dark for weeks. It was a beautiful day in our neighborhood. So many families retreated to the outdoors, and we ate dinner on porches while children ran free through backyards. Our boys were three, five, seven, and nine at the time, perfect ages for the adventure of camp stove meals and reading by flashlight. But their favorite moment came when the neighborhood moms found out that the electric wouldn't be back on for at least a day. Not wanting to waste anything, we made the collective decision to gather all the ice cream from all the freezers and bring it to one family's backyard. Scoop by scoop, it disappeared as we traded stories and watched children play in the twilight, then picked up the little ones when the sky turned black, guided to cribs and beds and homes by candlelit paths. The blackout caused a lot of serious trouble in business and transportation and individual lives, and there, there was plenty of murmuring and quarreling and complaining. But it also made us aware of our own limits and how much we rely on utility grids and computer screens for modern, fast-paced life where a whole neighborhood eating ice cream together is all too rare. I thought of that memory a few days ago when everything started shutting down and the options for living and working in our fast-paced world rapidly diminished. The lights are still on, and our screens call out to us more than ever with the latest news and warnings and shutdowns with work to be done and entertainment to distract us, much of it on our own, in our own homes. Fear builds along with isolation. Now, the collapse of a multi-state electrical system 17 years ago seems like it was a minor inconvenience, and the thought of a dozen or more children dipping spoons into ice cream cartons seems not just quaint, but somehow dangerous. And though we have been told that outside is a good place to be right now, I don't see any more people than usual at the park or walking down the street. Social distancing for the sake of the most vulnerable in our communities is a Lenten discipline we never intended to practice. But this year, this year we find ourselves called to make the necessary sacrifices, to flatten the curve, to reduce exposure, to protect our friends and neighbors, our fellow church members and grandparents by not being with them physically, and to look out for the most vulnerable among us 
while we pray for and support frontline healthcare workers in their efforts to fight this crisis. In Exodus, we heard how the quarrelsome generation in the wilderness made a pretty common assumption. When they had what they needed and wanted, they believed that God was with them. But in times of hunger, thirst, disease, and pain, they wonder if they had been abandoned. Worse, they wondered if God had ever traveled with them at all. Who is this God leading them from slavery to the promised land on a journey that could have been 250 miles along the Mediterranean coast and instead takes them 40 years through the desert? They are so angry at the slow pace of God. They are so controlled by their discomfort and by their fear that they want to kill their own leaders. So God instructs Moses to pick up his staff, the same one used to part the waters of the Red Sea, and to strike a rock. And when Moses does so, water comes from the rock, and the people, at least for that moment, no longer thirst. Their pilgrimage to the promised land continues step by step in pace with the God who leads them on the way. It seems that God does nothing quickly. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, numerous prophets, kings, and exile experiences demonstrate God's long-suffering covenant love. And finally, when God becomes incarnate, the divine one didn't arrive on earth as a fully formed adult. The person upon whom our salvation depends had to grow up. He lived at ordinary speed. He lived in ordinary places, going face to face with ordinary people over a geographical space no more than 100 miles. Divine love lives at the speed of walking. So many events happened along the way on the road, in the marketplace, out in the countryside, by the city gate, on the shoreline, by the water, in a home, at the dinner table, beside a well going through Samaria. And in fact, very little of Jesus' ministry took place at church, in the temple. Jesus' ministry happened as he walked. A Japanese theologian named Kasuki Koyama wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And in it he wrote, love has its speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of life at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk and therefore the speed the love of God walks. Jesus walks at the speed of love. Jesus is our three-mile-an-hour Savior, and Jesus sees our worries and our anxiety, our secrets and our baggage, our pain and fear, and still chooses to walk among us, to forgive us and to heal us and to help us. Jesus Stop to talk 
to the woman at the well to know her story and to offer this life-giving water bubbling up to eternal life. And she, she stopped long enough to listen and to take it. My sermon this third week of Lent was going to focus on slowing down to keep pace with God. I had hoped to encourage you to adjust the pace of your life so you could see God's work in the world, to be unhurried and undistracted and attentive to what goes on in your neighborhood. But it turns out we may have no choice about that. Life during the coronavirus outbreak may get slower and more stressful at the same time. And things will get worse before they get better, and we will be grumbling and complaining and quarreling about our leaders like the ancient Israelites in the wilderness. We will feel thirsty for comfort and security, thirsty for knowing our needs will be met, thirsty for that assurance that there will be enough and all will be well. And our challenge now is to believe that God is with us. It will be important to stay spiritually healthy as well as physically healthy, to go for a walk, to get outside, to read a book, to set aside time to read the Bible and commune with God in prayer or in song, to check in with one another and to practice perhaps an enforced Sabbath rest. The idea of Sabbath is ingrained in our faith tradition from our Jewish forebears. Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his classic book called The Sabbath, said, the one who wants to enter the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. He must go away from the screech of dissonant days from the nervousness and fury of acquiring and the betrayal in embezzling his own life. She must say farewell to manual work and learn to understand the world has already been created and will survive without the help of humanity. Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth, and on the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, we try to dominate the self. Jews believe that the Sabbath is embedded in the pattern of creation. And this week, I learned, I don't know about you, that even the stock market needs a Sabbath. That when the S&P 500 hits a certain threshold of decline and frenetic activity, that there is a built-in stopgap, that trading is halted for 15 minutes to ensure order in the marketplace. Though rare, it happened twice this last week. Slowing down is good for everyone, a time to stop and breathe. 
Last fall, my youngest son and I went to see the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks in the role of Mr. Rogers, who was an ordained Presbyterian pastor who had an influential career in children's television. I was a little self-conscious about my, how my robust and active and movie-loving son would experience the slow-paced two-hour movie version of The Neighborhood? Would he feel comforted the way I did as a child with a person who looks directly at you through the camera, who has time for everyone, who shows compassion and sees everything? What would he think of this man who taught children when faced with something scary to look for the helpers? His comment afterwards, my son said, I guess there's a lot of lessons in living a slow-paced life. So maybe the best way to think of this time, whether you are on the front lines of healthcare or just trying to love your neighbor from six feet away, is to consider the invitation embedded in the crisis to do what you can and leave the rest to God. A poem I encountered this week called Pandemic by Reverend Lynn Unger speaks of this invitation. What if you thought of it as the Jews consider the Sabbath the most sacred of times? Cease from travel Cease from buying and selling. Give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing. Pray. Touch only those to whom you commit your life. Center down. And when your body has become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has come clear. Do not reach out your hands. Reach out your heart. Reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this world your love, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we all shall live. Friends, we will get through this with the help of God and one another. We will choose faith over fear and perseverance instead of panic. And just maybe, when it's all over, we can host an ice cream party for the neighborhood. Amen.